Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. You know, like, to see, like, your cultural background matters, and it can be, and it has a space in design. The second one is don't take other people's culture without engaging with people. Last week, we spoke to Dr. Diana Albaran-Gonzalez on her views on design, decolonization and decoloniality, specifically when it comes to indigenous Mexican design in the context of Auckland Art Gallery's exhibition featuring Frida Kahlo and Diego Riviera's works. Culture is attached to people. You want, you like this, talk to that community, talk to that people and sometimes accept that it is not our place to do certain works, certain designs. We need to pass. The responsible thing to do is to pass that project to someone from that culture. It's a topic that has a lot of resonance in the design and art community. And as a follow-up, I wanted to seek out more people helping shape and shift this narrative around New Zealand. So how do you create culturally respectful design practices? How do you get past imposter syndrome when you feel the need to represent your cultural background through your aesthetic as a designer? These are questions that are constants when you come from other cultures and work in an increasingly plural and diverse design world. Welcome to Voices with me, Kadambri. Being BIPOC design educators comes with a whole lot of responsibility to community, really. And Kerry-Anne Lee, designer and lecturer at Massey University in Wellington, knows this all too well. Where I am at, at the College of Creative Arts, it's been lovely to be able to see an emerging wave of uh, young practitioners who are really hungry and up for these conversations. Carrie Ann's third-generation Chinese New Zealander. Her work is pretty unapologetically informed by her exploring her Chinese roots and the intersections of culture. She's spoken and written extensively on design decolonization and the role of young and upcoming designers in forging that in their practice. I spoke to her in the RNZ video series Asia, Art Stories in Aotearoa, earlier this year while she was at the Auckland Zine Fest. She's an avid zine maker and an advocate for how it democratizes design and art. People get freaked out and run away or avoid um, working cross-culturally. People are scared to be ashamed to get it wrong or that they're going to offend somebody. And for me, is that space between cultural frames is a really precarious place to work. It's messy, it's fraught, there will be mistakes. Uh, at the same time, that's where we are, I think. There's a lot of that um, plurality and inclusivity that I grew up with that I was really interested in. And to try and make sense of that seemed like a natural thing for me. Yeah, just thinking about how that's matured into a point where we have a lot of young and new and emerging voices coming up going, wow, okay, no, we've got, we want something else from this. It's evolved again. I'm meeting her today at the Massey campus where her design students have the final year graduate show on. 
When it comes to reclaiming identity through art or design-led representation, things are undergoing a major shift in New Zealand, no doubt. Newer, often tougher and bolder conversations are being had. And even if it's still fraught, spaces are being opened and held. It's exciting that there are lots of other people who are also um, doing the work holding space. So there's a there's probably a countless amount of people that I probably could mention in that space mm-hmm. up and down the country, but it's a really, um, it feels like a really exciting time. Whether it's performing art, writing, film or design, groups like the Pan-Asian Screen Collective or the Migrant Scene Collective or the Asian Aotearoa Arts Hui that Kerry-Ann was a key part of starting back in 2013, Post-pandemic, we both think there's been a renewed energy in these conversations around representation in the space of art. They're all based around triggering thought around how do you successfully work in cross-cultural spaces without appropriation or reductive cliches. It's been a really, yeah, an interesting time in terms of how things have shifted, like you were saying. Um, What people were needing before the pandemic feels a bit different from what people were needing after the pandemic in terms of... Um, visibility, voice, solidarity, a sort of general kind of desire, a collective desire for wanting these things. But I think in terms of this conversation, that idea of decolonizing as care is sort of, that sort of why do it? It's like I think there's a desperate kind of uh, urgency of, of wanting people to take care and, and what does care look like? What does um, we sort of heard the word cultural safety quite a lot, but we're going well. How can we nuance that through our lived experiences? So, what does that care and cultural safety look like when it comes to creative arts? It's about taking into account consciously who was doing this work before you. Who are those cultural knowledge holders amongst us? Who gets represented? Who doesn't? What's cultural labour, and who gets paid for it? How do you steer away from reductive cultural cliches? When I, I guess I was on my sort of starting out with all this research 15 years ago, it was a really, yeah, trying to find out who's doing what and struggling to find role models. And now, you know, with some time down the way, we're thinking, cool, there are these role models. And also that they're accessible too here in Aotearoa, that there's some uh, things that people can learn from it. So what were you seeking when you look at yourself and your emerging career 15, 20 years ago? <laughs> what were you seeking to model your practice on in some way? I, I had no idea, I think. I think it was just um, trying to... I think it's really good to have that assurance and that support to know that you're on the right track, that you're not alone, because it can be very lonely, I think, in terms of being... And as in New Zealander, uh, but also trying to get validation of what you're doing is is on the right path. You know, quite often, traditionally, as you know, and as many people know, um, who from our communities here in Aotearoa, uh, with diasporic migrant communities, um, professions like uh, being a doctor or a lawyer or accountant is always, you know, quite in the forefront of a lot of parents' minds. But the idea that you'd send your kid to art school or design school or performing arts, you know, this kind of creative pursuits, like there's there's a lot of um, curiosity about what that looks like in terms of a career or establishing oneself. And I know that, it's, yeah, in a formal sense, that's 
that's definitely a very present thing in a lot of what we do here with the college and a lot of our students. And definitely when I was sort of coming up, just thinking about, well, how does that work with my community? If I was trying to reach out and create a conversation creatively through my illustration and artwork and design, how do I communicate that to um, my elders and what what does that look like? So I would imagine that brings with it a lot of self-critique and a lot of self-doubt. Mm. And especially when it comes to art and design, I would imagine that causes a lot of confusion in terms of whether or not you feel you're being authentic enough to your to your cultural background mm. and whether you can get that validation from the wider community or the so-called custodians of that culture. Absolutely. So I would imagine that creates, it, it's probably, you know, a bit of a dilemma for a lot of art and design students who are grappling with their own cultural backgrounds as well as a wider, perhaps a more Eurocentric view of art and design out there in the world. Mm. Yeah, no, thanks for picking up on that. It's, yeah, it can be quite overwhelming. I think that's probably one thing that is yeah, a really strong sense of, of possibility in terms of we encourage our students to come as their whole selves and, you know, but then there's also that really strong consciousness of what their personal relationship is with maybe their um, heritage or home culture. And, yeah, just to take care with that. I know that it's not some students are not always up for that. It's they will maybe not quite ready to engage. And it's for those who are, Um, It's quite the undertaking in terms of where to find themselves and locate their own voice and identity in amongst their whānau, their family, their communities. And maybe that it's also to remind them it's a life journey, that sometimes there's the pressure of trying to capture everything into one art project or one design project. And there's actually, yeah, kind of a bit of care needing to be taken in terms of how that gets drawn out or evolves like individually as well. So I think there there is yeah, that sort of work that, that happens in terms of the the cultural work in design education. Oh, wow. I'll show you visual communication design, fashion and textiles. Sure. We're now at Exposure, the Design School graduate show here at Massey. So it's very uh, so heartwarming um, to see the these these emerging designers come through because I remember them as first-year students who were very nervous and didn't know what was going on. (laughs) And they just come up with all these very beautiful, thoughtful things. Eliza was born in China and adopted by her Kiwi mum. For her, her graduate design project is a case in point in terms of what Kerry-Ann means by using research methods to explore graphics through a cultural lens and aesthetic. Using visual design, she explores her adoption journey as she immerses herself in quintessentially Chinese activities. So my mum adopted me by herself, um, but uh, yeah, she was really happy. But she kind of laughed a little bit because when I was younger, I used to, like in this one, it talks about how much I really didn't want to learn when I was younger. So yeah, so she was quite happy that I wanted to start learning. So, and then I did some Tai Chi. I went to a couple classes, which was really, it was really hard. <laughs> Huh. It was actually way harder. I went into the first class thinking like, yeah, this surely isn't that hard. And it was actually really hard to learn, but it was good. And then these are the baby clothes that came so in. So was it difficult for you to, to get a sense of what your aesthetic for all of this would have been? Did you ever doubt yourself in terms of, hang on, I'm you know not necessarily 
from China or I don't yeah. live in China I live in New Zealand I'm adopted all these different factors yeah, kind of swirling yeah. around in your head and yet you had to find a design sensibility that was uniquely yours yeah yeah. it was a couple of struggles with picking a typeface and even just a layout because I, when I did this mm. book I wanted to make the layout different and I spent ages trying to think of a new layout after all of that do, do you feel like you're just that much more familiar with your heritage that you might have otherwise been removed from through adoption in some sense? Um, yeah, kind of. I feel like I embraced it more as well. I haven't really, like, it was kind of not been important in my life and I felt like it'd be something, I, it was something I wanted to explore this year. They have a very special um, opportunity and even though maybe they might look upon it like 10 years later and kind of maybe have an awkward cringe, there's something, <laughs> there's, a, there's something with integrity there that's been developed over a year's worth of research and developments. There's also an interest in an emerging demand for culturally aware, uh, culturally agile design, let's say, and... Sometimes I feel like maybe some of our students also are very aware of that but also feel a bit out of their depth, uh, maybe because they um, feel disconnected from their language or don't have the cultural know-how enough to serve the communities which they're part of. Um, Do you think there's a a sense of self-imposed pressure because we are overseas, because we are living outside of our cultural home, so to speak, I think a big, yes, that's a good one because I think it's um, yeah, it's more noticed, more pronounced because of yeah, being part of minority communities. Uh, maybe people feel like they're more visible, this thus more um, maybe held to account in some ways, like being being visible. Um, yeah, it's it's quite the position to find yourself in if you yeah want to explore the. I guess yeah, these sort of nuances around um, yeah, cultural storytelling and self-expression. I think there's, a, there's this, yeah, these amazing tensions that push and pull uh, artists and designers around, um, yeah, like you said, that authenticity and uniqueness of, of your own stories, yet also trying to find um, and send out beacons or signals to others um, who might sort of come and be, be drawn to your story as well, maybe some closer than others that are part of your community. That was Kerry ann Lee, designer, zine maker and lecturer at Massey University, talking about why the idea of decolonizing design as care matters and the role that new and emerging designers have to play in that practice. My name is Kadambri and each week I produce an episode of Voices where we talk about all our different cultural backgrounds we bring with us from around the world and how that plays into life here in New Zealand beyond just checking that diversity tick box. Catch more Voices episodes just like these on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from. Today's episode was mixed by Jeremy Ansel and I'm Kadambri Ragukumar. Thanks for listening. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 